This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, it's not smart flying your drone on a windy day. That's not smart. But you know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. Now, Vergecast listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. This episode of Vergecast also brought to you by Microsoft Azure. Amplify your ideas and take advantage of artificial intelligence and advanced analytics on a trusted cloud that's designed to help you achieve more. Start your free account today at Azure.com slash trial. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Vox Media podcast experience. Dieter Bone is here. Hi, Dieter. Hi. Uh, this week, I'm uh, I'm your acquaintance on a first name basis. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, you're you're like uh, Dieter is at the XOXO festival, so like lots of acquaintances on first name basis. I guess that's it. right. That's Very topical. Right. Paul Miller, how you doing, buddy? Hello. Did you hit record? I'm good. I uh, did. I am definitely recording. It's gonna sound so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you, man. Thanks. Uh, just a huge week of things. It is Monopoly week here at The Verge. Yeah. A well-timed theme week. About... It definitely was. I'm the thimble this week, I think. <laughs> I've always been the car, and I shall <laughs> remain the car. But Russell's here because, in addition to The Verge holding Monopoly week, the United States government decided to hold Monopoly week. Oh, yeah. Tons of hearings on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Lots of statements. The Justice Department suggesting it would just start wandering around the states of our great nation, just asking questions. Yeah, that was weird. That was a weird one. So let's start at the start with Donald Trump. Yeah, I was going to say, he's sort of the font from which all this springs. (laughs) As always. I don't know if this is connected to the hearings this week. So Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook, appeared in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee to talk about election interference. With an empty chair from Google, which is yeah. a whole thing that we should talk about. And then uh, Dorsey went on to talk to the House Intelligence Committee about moderation on Twitter. Yeah. Which yeah. was a weird thing that also It was a happened. big day for Jack. Jack, he posted his heart rate online. Did you yes, see that? Yes, I actually yeah. really liked that. I thought that was a good move. It was good. but bef- And so that's like happening. The Department of Justice suggested it would start working with states to talk about how platforms are stifling ideas, which is incredible. Well, and like state attorneys general, which is like a very weird. I have a lot of questions about how that's going to work. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Sanders introduced a bill called the Stop Bezos bill. Yes. Uh, which is just, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Designed to tax Amazon for underpaying workers. Just like a lot going on. And then our coverage of monopolies in general. We had Tim Wu earlier this week on the Vergecast talking about the case to break up Facebook and why you just want to do it. But we got to start with Trump. Yeah. Who last week said Amazon, Facebook, and Google represent, and I quote, a very antitrust situation. Yeah. Well, not a regular antitrust situation. This was maybe a separate <laughs> incident, but the the reason he got mad at Google was there was this thing where he Googled his name, I guess, and he's like, when you Google my name, it's all negative things about me. Yeah. And not good <laughs> things. Which who among us is not <laughs> yep. at this moment? <laughs> But um, and then this and he was literally just like, this is in some ways. And then he sort of, you know, went on this. This there were more tweets as there are and was kind <laughs> of really unhappy with Google. And I think this and then, you know, within the next week, you get Orrin Hatch is sending a letter to the FTC saying, hey, we should really look at whether Google is a monopoly and maybe think about doing this. And Jeff Sessions is saying, hey, I'm meeting with a bunch of state attorney generals to talk about, you know, 
anti-competitive moderation practices. Yeah. Now, I mean, that one maybe is more social networky, but yeah. it's still – I mean, I think the other thing is because – these hearings, which seemed from afar to be potentially not a great setup for Twitter because Jack Dorsey has not really done this kind of thing and he has a reputation of being kind of dopey in some circumstances. Jack Dorsey, his entire <laughs> affect is that he is visiting you from the astral plane <laughs> and that he, he only has moments to spare before the vortex closes and he must go. Right, He's a like, Stephen I, Strange kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, he he did he came out really well, surprisingly. Right. But Google just got kind of because they weren't you know, there. Because they weren't there, so people were just like, "Let me take two minutes to dump on Google <laughs> and then ask Miss Sandberg a lovely question." I will address these comments to the empty chair. <laughs> I mean, we should we should do like the congressional hearings and the antitrust. We should probably try and separate them. With the well, with the antitrust stuff, there's there's a ton of smoke. There's a bunch of talk, and like it seems like there's there's enough like people talking publicly that it's clear that there's a bunch been a bunch of stuff happening privately and the thing that i don't know is did was a bunch of stuff happening and then they um then they like talked to trump and then trump started saying stuff or did trump start saying stuff and like oh god i guess this time we're actually going to start talking all the information i can offer you about this to answer this question is the full quote that trump gave to bloomberg uh-huh i won't comment on the breaking up of whether that or amazon or facebook it's, just, it's hard to quote Trump. I'm doing my best. Yeah. I won't comment on the breaking up of whether it's that or Amazon or Facebook. As you know, many people think it is a very antitrust situation, the three of them. But I just, I won't comment on that. Conservatives huh. have been treated very unfairly by Google. I will tell you where there are some moments where we say, wow, that is really bad what they're doing. It's really bad what they're doing. It's bad. But what if Donald Trump doesn't understand the difference between like, a social network and like a Google search engine because uh, with that anonymous New York Times thing, he just tw t tweeted the word treason question mark. And what mm -hmm. if he thought he was doing a search? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, Dieter, I think from reading this, the answer to your question is there have been people talking about it. There's a reason, you know, Tim Wu is on the show this week talking about it. He's been talking about it. He's about to publish a book about it. I assume there are other – Tim knows a lot of people. I assume there's other folks he's talked to about it. So I imagine there's some, like, conversations happening about it, and that those have filtered their way up through every level of the government. I just don't know if you can connect the hearings and this antitrust energy right. to what Trump is saying. Well, I think my read on it, honestly, is that these things happen extremely slowly and, like – there were people under Obama who were quietly talking about this and then have gotten progressively louder. Mm -hmm. And anything that this translates to is probably going to be like in terms of actual action, like three to five years out in the horizon. Um, just because I, I don't think that any of the agencies that you'd be looking to to actually do something like this are currently in a position like the it's the Department of Justice and the FTC. Then like they're not. They're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, again, I could be wrong. But well, the FTC is holding hearings next week. The FTC is well, – well, they start next week and they're going to go for the – like until January. So they're definitely interested in hearing about it. But I think the one of the things that is frustrating about like going from reporting on tech to reporting on the government is that things – especially things like this happen really, really slowly in government. And the result is that everyone's trying to catch it early and so it's just like – 
or do people in Congress say mean things about Google? And like, how f- how mean are they willing to go? How far are they willing to go out on the limb? And the farther they go, the more you get nervous that something will eventually happen and will be really hard to stop once it starts happening. Uh, and so I think most of what happened this week was just sort of nudging that ball kind of further out. All right, let's talk about the hearings then. So first hearing. Yeah. And Russell, at the point that you were making, you wrote a piece for us today saying it's getting uncomfortable for Google. Yeah, certainly. So let's talk about why there was an empty chair, because there was indeed, I mean, this is like stagecraft of the highest order. Oh, yeah, definitely. They've got a CEO of of Twitter, the COO of Facebook. They asked Google to show up. Google said, we'll send our like SVP of public policy. They said, not good enough. Yeah. We want Larry. They said, we'll send our SVP of public policy. They said, we'll take Sundar. They said, no, you can have Kent Walker, SVP of public policy. Yeah. And they said, no, you're not allowed to come. We're putting an empty chair there. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's like l- ridiculous. Well, I think the interesting thing. So, I mean, like Zuckerberg has played this game too. Like for yeah. a while, there was a warrant for his arrest in the European <laughs> Union because, or I think it was, I mean, because there was one of these things and he was like, look, I just did this in the US. I don't really want to, like, I can't just fly to Brussels every time people are mad at me. And they were like, we have a warrant for your arrest. Like, you, we require your presence. <laughs> um, and, like, I mean, I think th- it is a power play. And part of it is you have to kind of come in and kiss the ring and recognize that you're, like, subject to the power of the government. But also one of the interesting things about it is Google and, – and this is kind of one of the weird ways in which Google is – a weird company. I don't know that Sundar actually would know a ton about, yeah. or I mean, would, would really be like certainly Larry Page. Like, what do you think Larry Page's take is on like, like RT being on YouTube right. or like or like influence operations on YouTube and general moderation practices there? Like, what is his level of caring and knowing about that? But I think that is the point. Yeah, fundamentally, the point is you created these platforms. You've built them to this massive scale. He did not create scale. YouTube. Well, I mean, he, <laughs> he just <laughs> bought it and then it got bigger. Well, he, someone, Google. Someone out there. But that's the thing is it's so cellular that there's no, like, person high enough up to really say the thing. And I think that's the frustration is they're like, all right, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, like, we can, we can, like, yell at you. And then if you're unhappy, you can cause things downstream to happen that yeah. will be, will address our concerns. And just, like... Yeah, like maybe Kent Walker was actually the highest level person who knows, like who, who just deals with any of this stuff. No, the point is you, Larry Page, are in charge of Alphabet. Google's one of your companies. Yeah. We, the government, see there's weird conspiracy theories that pop up in search. I yeah. search for my own name. There's only bad news. I'd like to ask you about that. <laughs> and YouTube is full of conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's like your I'm gonna, problem, Larry I'm going to hold you accountable. Yeah. If you don't show up, like- the next person down is the CEO of Google, which owns YouTube. Yeah. We'll take that, right? Like, at least it says CEO, comma, Google on the name card. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, you're the most responsible person. Even if Larry Page is like, look, Sundar's got it. I'm doing flying cars and contact lens that let you see through space. Like, he's, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least you get the person who's the most accountable. The person who can be like, the buck stops with me. I'm in charge of Google. Yeah. Cat Walker, lovely guy. He's like, I'm Google's lawyer. The buck, I will pass, my job is to pass the buck as fast as possible. Oh, yeah. Or to suggest that the buck legally does not exist. (laughs) Well, also, I think, I mean, I was surprised because I think as a journalist, a lot of the times I'm watching these things and it's sort of like, well, 
like the senator said a bunch of stuff and then Zuckerberg said a bunch of stuff we've already heard and like they just went back and forth for a while. But the people who are doing it, like the people who are called in front of even this congressional committee and like it's not like they do anything. They're not going to like throw you in jail at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> but like they really do not like it. They love, they're like getting yelled at in, I think, a way that they rarely get yelled at as human beings. Yeah. I like take the subway. Like I'm subject to this level of scrutiny all the time. <laughs> but there's like I think if you're if you're you know, if you're Larry Page, like this just never happens to you and you're sort of not prepared for it. And so I do think there's an aspect of like, all right, we have to fix YouTube just so I stop having to go to Congress and talk to them. Because if if this is a problem, I'm going to get called in front of Congress again and it's going to ruin my whole week and I just don't want that to happen. <laughs> and like that becomes the motivation. I mean, fine, I'll take it. But they no, that's, say that's no how one. our democracy works. Yeah. To people like Larry Page is like, look. I want to go to Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> Please fix YouTube moderation. Yeah. The, no, that is 100% it. Because there's never, like, really going to be an economic incentive to do it. So, like, it really is just we're going to make the executives, a, a senior enough executive's life inconvenient and unpleasant in this limited way that that will sort of mean something. Okay. So Google sends the empty chair. Yeah. Well, the chair was was already there. But, yeah, in, in abstractly. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been amazing if Google literally sent a chair, though? <laughs> like a super colorful, <laughs> hilarious Google chair. Like How Congress chair? demands that they send that they that Congress doesn't like anybody they send, but they make them send somebody. It's like you must send us a nameplate with the word Google on it. That is your contribution <laughs> to this. And yeah. it has the little Google Home on top of it, so you can ask it questions <laughs> about like <laughs> we've sent the Google about assistant. the world. Yeah, <laughs> you're aware of it. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's the two of them. There's the empty yeah, chair. Yeah. What happens in this hearing? The thing was the Congress. Everyone, you know, the senators want to look tough, mm-hmm. and so it was a really easy one for them to just dunk on Google. Yeah. So Tom Cotton was mad that they backed out of the Project Maven, which had been a whole employee uprising. There were also a bunch of folks who were mad that I think Marco Rubio specifically was mad that they were uh, again, as the Intercept reported, uh, have this Dragonfly project to get into China, the sort of censorship-friendly Google, which has been extremely controversial, and then just sort of a lot of unanswered questions about targeted advertising. And I think Rubio said maybe they were too arrogant to show up. But it was just like it became this kind of dunk on Google and then ask, you know, Sheryl Sandberg and Jack Dorsey, like, you would never betray America like that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was literally they were like, you would never put the interests of your own country against some project. And Sheryl Sandberg was like, I'm not familiar with what you're talking about, but <laughs> as you've asked the question, no. And Jack Dorsey was like, yeah, no, me neither. I don't know. Um, and, and that was the perfect thing because the senator could look tough and be like, how dare you, Google? And then and then it completely let Twitter and Facebook off the hook, which has really not been how it went up to this point. Like previous, yeah. previously, Facebook was the kind of scapegoat figure and the Twitter and, fa- Twitter and Google were like, look, we... You know, we wouldn't take these Russian ads. Well, we took a few of them, but it wasn't as bad. <laughs> we never did this terrible stuff that Facebook did. And like that w- and and so the that's the really scary thing I think is that like mostly Google has gotten off the hook yeah. from the tech backlash such as it is. And this was kind of a little bit of a shift. Uh, uh, in the piece you wrote today, you quote uh, former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler. Yeah. T Wheels, I like to call him. 
calling Google not showing up as, quote, a strategic mistake of virtually incalculable proportions. Jeez. I mean, yeah, it was dumb. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also think, like, if you imagine what people like Tom Wheeler, like, do in their post-government careers, it's like you sit on the board of Coca-Cola or wherever, mm-hmm. and you and they say, like, Congress is mad at me. What do I do? And he's like, well— you got to show up. They're going to yell at you a bit. It'll be fine. I'll yeah. talk you through it. But like, really, the like, you got to show up is like, it really is important. <laughs> um, anyhow, so there's, so Google like made this error, but in a first meeting, Sandberg and Dorsey, uh, they get asked to fight bots on their platforms. They get mm. asked about deep fakes. <laughs> Our next subhead here, right under all that, Marco Rubio suggested he'd beat up Alex Jones. Like a lot going oh, on. Oh yeah, uh, that was a real moment. But so the bots and the deep fakes. Did you when you were listening to these answers? Did you, did you feel they were sincere? Mostly, I think. Like I don't. I'm just like not really impressed. I, th- I think people were people were sort of impressed by like that the members of Congress sort of knew about deep fakes and bots, and they were like each. We've had four or five of these now. It depends if you count the diamond and silk one. And each time they get a little bit better. Yeah. But I was I'm always kind of like, are deep fakes really the concern? Is this actually is this actually what we're worried about on Facebook or is this not like it's just sort of I'm concerned about this and then Jack Dorsey kind of runs his fingers through his beard and says, Oh yeah, it's very concerning. I'm also concerned about it. we're working on it. <laughs> um, and everyone sort of feels listened to and heard. Dorsey did a lot of like kicking his own ass. Like he's like, not Our rules are confusing <laughs> and that is pretty bad and we have been thinking about labeling the bots, and gosh, I don't know. I'm he just... said that he said their own policies. He was like, "It's not like you could just sit down with a cup of coffee and understand them." And I was like, "Yeah, no, I know. I've been trying." <laughs> I will say, I, I really hate that the government is at all involved in this, just because of all the grandstanding and the the ring kissing, and it's it's very frustrating to me. But I will say, if if all of these companies just had clear content policies. Seems like so, so much could be simplified. Yeah, I mean that's the dream, right? Like, if only the United States of America had a clear content policy, but like instead we have like the history of First no, I'm Amendment not regulation. A unified United States. I'm just saying if every if every if every company had some sort of, in a sense, a contract with its users, right? Saying, "Hey, you're allowed to post anything on our our site, which is ours, by the way, as long as you don't." violate these things yeah and and then if if the company starts blocking you uh when you haven't violated any of those things you have some sort of right to i don't know appeal or say like look the the contract you're not honoring the contract that you made with me when you said i could post on your site as long as i followed the rules so what's up I feel like there would be a clearer conversation here instead there's these very amorphous or trying to I mean, you know, Jack Dorsey uh, uh, acknowledged sort of the sh- what people have been calling shadow banning in the sense of, you know, we have an algorithm that's running. We have things that we think are bad. And sometimes it flags the wrong people as bad. And so we're trying to improve the algorithm. But without an ability to appeal to some clear set of rules, it's really yeah. hard to know. So, Paul, are you saying that you're looking for like an agreement for the end user who, for the license to use the software, like a like a like an end yeah, user license agreement, a, is something like that? Okay. Is what you're saying? Yeah, like an EU LA. Yeah, you need to manage the digital rights, the digital rights that people have in the new millennium. You need to manage them somehow. 
some sort of copyright CCA. millennium situation. Also, a policy about privacy. Uh, this has to stop. Everyone, <laughs> everyone got the joke already. Well, okay, I, I'll say this is so. The thing that, and okay, so all platforms are bad in their own way. I will say Facebook very, very recently introduced the ability to appeal when something has been removed. And it was mm. very much applauded. But YouTube has been doing this forever. And they have been doing the three strikes sort of system forever. And I think a lot of what we're seeing is just that Facebook and Twitter have been really inconsistent and bizarre and kind of under-resourced in moderation in general. Uh, but also doing this stuff at scale is really complicated and hard. And and that that sort of crunch of resources of like how do we do this for two billion people at once is has been what shapes the lack of like a clear policy, which then kind of feeds back of like it none of these rules make sense because we're we're like building the plane as we're flying. Yeah, Paul, I completely agree with you. If all these companies had extremely clear rules that were based on mm -hmm. their values and you could participate or not, and they would like say, We don't want this on our platform, we're cool with it, that would be great. They're, they are not doing that. I think these hearings, as grandstandy and silly as they are, are the pressure that the government can put on these platforms to like shape up and improve. And then I think there's also the problem of this isn't just a consumer product problem, right? It's not just in the market of United States social network users that platforms are treating people unfairly or inconsistently. It's also they're being misused by foreign governments to interfere in our elections, which is what this first hearing was about, right? And the second hearing was about Dorsey and content moderation on Twitter. So the, the first right. hearing was very much Sandberg and Dorsey saying, this is a real problem. It's out of control. We need to take steps to fix it. Here are the steps we're taking. And then, you know, the Senate saying, if only Google was here to tell us about their steps to protect the republic. It was the <laughs> second hearing that got into moderation. And I think as Russell was saying earlier, those things are getting lumped together because you do want to moderate out very harshly Russian election ads, right? Like you don't want those in our system, um, but they often look like regular election ads. And like what computer is going to be able to figure that out is like a challenging problem. Well, also, I mean, as they've tried to put in restrictions, the thing they've said is it's you can't do it like the like television ads where you say this is a campaign ad because so much of it is motivating people around specific issues but so then they end up labeling things as political content or not political content which is really dicey like it's it a it's very hard to do in a consistent way and, and sort of do in an automated way but also it's just a really sort of squishy distinction of like what is what is politics and what is ethics and this is like mm -hmm. and and just the whole thing has become just like drawing a line around what the sensitive stuff is is has proven really difficult. In my perfect world, they'd allow all the Russian ads and that they'd also work on doing this thing of showing who's who's buying the ads. But the Russian, the, but they're lying. That's a beautiful world. But no, when 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 the Russian government starts a, a dummy corporation called the Center for Truth in Government, and mm -hmm. what you see is the Center for Truth in Government bought this ad. Mm -hmm. Your mind, as a consumer of Facebook, does not go to the Russian government is lying to me to get me to, to vote for somebody else. Well, here's an here's an idea. Don't trust 
ads. Well, <laughs> coming up next, we're going to hear from uh, Microsoft Azure on how intelligent data is impacting the world of sports in this advertising segment from Microsoft Azure. The Portland Trailblazers have a loyal following. We have a building with 20,000 seats in it, roughly. A little over half of them are season ticket holders, and those are filled every night. But the challenge is filling the other 10,000 seats. And the person who is up to the challenge is Mike Schumacher. He's the director of analytics for the Trailblazers. We have all these leads and a lot of people that we could contact via email or like social media. But we also have a sales staff that can reach out on the phone. In sales, a call can make a world of difference. But calling some 200,000 people who went to see the Trailblazers last year is unrealistic. That's where machine learning comes in. Rohan Kumar is the corporate vice president of the Azure data team at Microsoft. Predictive analytics can be used to drive a much deeper customer engagement. You could essentially think about predicting customer behavior. You know, data tells you things which your intuition doesn't. For the Portland Trailblazers, it meant using the machine learning capabilities in Microsoft Azure to find that hidden fan. Things like watching specific sports channels. If you are a heavy LinkedIn user, or if you're a cord cutter and you have, say, a streaming device, um, those are also data points that were more predictive in identifying someone that was interested in purchasing tickets. Mike and his team were able to get more Trailblazer fans to games using Azure's Workbench. The result? In the 2016-2017 season, the sales campaign got one out of four people to buy tickets instead of one out of 20. Curious about how AI and machine learning can transform the way to do business? Sign up for a free Azure account today and play around. Get started at azure.com slash trial. A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. I'd like to thank our advertiser, Microsoft Azure, for sponsoring the Vergecast and supporting the Vox Media Podcast Network. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to run This Week in Elon. Liz is on vacation this week. This Week in Elon with Sean O'Kane. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some Apple rumors. Check it out. This Week in Elon. I'm Sean O'Kane, a transportation reporter at The Verge, filling in for Liz Lopato, and this is The Week in Elon. Now, of course, when I fill in, it's like the first kind of slow week in Elon ever, but to be honest, after the manic, musk-related month of August, I'm actually not complaining. The biggest thing that happened this week was an extension of the now months-long saga of Elon Musk suggesting a guy is a pedophile. Quick recap, early this summer, a youth soccer team got trapped in a cave in Thailand. There was a huge search and rescue effort. Elon Musk started building and testing a small submarine tube thing that he thought would help get the kids out of the tight, partially flooded cave, but it never worked out. The kids were rescued regardless. One of the guys working on the rescue effort took a shot at Musk's attempt to help. Musk claimed on Twitter out of the blue that it's possible the guy's a pedophile, and last week, he actually doubled down on that claim by trying to say how strange it was that the rescuer in question hadn't sued him. Turns out the rescuer is working with a lawyer to prepare a lawsuit. This week, we learned from BuzzFeed that he essentially tripled down on this claim. You see, after the double down, BuzzFeed reporter Ryan Mack reached out to Musk about the potential lawsuit. Musk kind of snapped back at him, saying he didn't know what he was talking about, claimed Mack was, quote, defending child rapists, and said, I fucking hope he sues me. Now, Musk told Mac this, along with a few other choice things, in an email that he prefaced with the phrase, off the record. 
I'm not going to get too deep into this, but typically journalists treat off-the-record conversations as a two-way street. For Musk to just start his email that way and then unload a tirade without Mac agreeing to that term left Mac with the opportunity to basically publish Musk's comments in full, and he did. Now, why does all of this matter? You could argue that it doesn't directly affect any of Musk's companies, but it definitely does indirectly. Musk, who says he's been putting in 100-plus-hour work weeks at Tesla, is a total sucker for distractions and has a penchant for spending spare time picking fights in places where other people would just be fine to let things be. Whether it's trying to build a tunnel to Dodger Stadium or arguing over how many tears he might have shed while on the phone with the New York Times or swiftly announcing and then swiftly abandoning an effort to take Tesla private, he just can't stop himself. And all those things have happened just in the last few weeks, mind you. Which is wild, because at the beginning of August, Musk seemed to be at peace with Tesla for the first time in a very long while. The company had finally hit his ambitious production targets for the Model 3, even though those goals had been delayed a bunch already. He sounded relaxed on a quarterly call with analysts. He even apologized for having lashed out at them on a similar call earlier in the year. And then all this self-inflicted chaos hit. You know, for a moment, it actually seemed like the storm over Tesla had lifted. But looking back now, it feels more like the beginning of August was just the eye of the hurricane passing through. Listen, Tesla still has to prove it can keep up the pace of Model 3 deliveries, which is key if Musk wants the company to ever turn a steady profit. Meanwhile, there are lawsuits piling up over the privatization attempt, two ongoing SEC investigations, and a tiff with the National Labor Relations Board. Business Insider also published a few new huge stories this week about poor workplace conditions at Tesla's Gigafactory, sourced from 42 current and former employees. And there are legitimate questions being raised about the company's home solar energy business, which is kind of maybe seeming to go nowhere right now. All I'm saying is there were plenty of fires to put out before Musk took a boring company flamethrower to the month of August. The BuzzFeed thing is enlightening because it shows that even when Musk seems to go a bit quiet in public, he's still picking some of these fights behind the scenes. So while this might have felt like a particularly quiet week in Elon, there's no reason to believe anything's changed. In fact, one of the few things Elon Musk did tweet this week is that he's going to appear on Joe Rogan's radio show after we tape this segment. I don't know about you, but that sounds like more thunder in the distance to me. Anyway, this has been Your Week in Elon. Liz will be back next week with all the madness that's sure to ensue. It's time. Next week is the Apple event. Dieter and I are going to be there. Yep. If you're in public, our video director, who, by the way, this week put out an amazing review of the Mavic 2 Zoom and the Mavic 2 Pro. Go look for that on YouTube. But Dieter and Veer and I will be there. I don't know if we've ever published more detailed information about how a video camera works than we have in that drone review. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. My favorite part of that video is after a lengthy discussion of color grading, uh, Viren stops, looks at the camera and says, but let's get back to talking about D-Log. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it's like perfect. All right, we talked about a bunch of stuff last week, some new rumors this week. Most troublesome to me is the fact that Apple has chosen to name their phone after my daughter, yeah. which is <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly something else. Uh. Uh, so the rumor is, this was 9to5Mac and Boy Genius Report reported it, that the larger iPhone 10s will be the iPhone 10s Max. Look, I know a lot of people from Apple listen to the show. I know a lot of them follow me on the gram. Here's what I think about the name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shut the company down and uh, sell, uh, sell it to shareholders. Whatever the, the Dell quote <laughs> do that. Uh, wait, do what Dell, Dell said long so ago. So the going theory, the going theory is they can't call it a plus because the plus implies it's got something more beyond just a bigger screen and a bigger battery. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, the iPhone, 
uh, you know, six, seven, eight pluses had like an extra lens or some other extra thing on top of what was available on the normal size iPhone, but that the normal size iPhone XS is going to have all the same stuff. The only difference between the 10s and the 10s Max is that the 10s Max will have a bigger screen and more battery, and that is not enough to imply it's a plus. Wait, hold on, um, hold on. I think that's dumb. I think it's overthinking it. That you have to be so deep in like the Mac web yes. to give a shit about that. Completely. Wait, wait, agree. and it's not like legally like they'll they'll like I'll sue them having bought a Max and being like I assume that. This would have an extra. It's just that, like, in their own logic of how naming things works. Yes, in Apple World. So instead, they've stolen my daughter's name. I'm just putting that out there. We don't know if it's true. I'm I'm more angry about the X versus 10 thing because seeing iPhone X, like, I've trained myself to think iPhone 10, and I'm doing okay with that. But uh, something about them putting the S next to it, iPhone oh, XS. Yeah. And then having Max, which also ends in an X in it, it makes you say XS. It doesn't make you say 10S. Seeing like all those Xs there. Yes. It is very confusing. We don't know if it's true. It's just two sides of the track record are saying it's true. Yeah, I just I I, I just I can't wait for a couple of years from now and Neil has to explain why um, why he chose to name his daughter after an iPhone model. It's the worst. Hey, hey can I drop a hot exclusive? Yes, Paul. I have reason to believe one or some of the iPhone models or possibly the uh, the Pixel 3 or both phones will have CBRS support. What is CBRS? Kind of like a, it's a stepping stone. It's the, the new 3.5 gigahertz spectrum. It's a stepping stone to 5G. Interesting. So it works works for small cells. It's so 3.5 gigahertz, very similar in like capacity to Wi-Fi. But there's this whole new like way that they're doing it. Basically, if the spectrum is unoccupied, you can broadcast on CBRS. So like for a building or stadium, that works. If a priority license shows up, you have to get out of the way, but there's still a little bit of spectrum left. Uh, so... I'm, it's pretty exciting. Wait, who's got the priority license? They're called PALS. P-A-L, which is Priority Access License. But, like, who are they? Is is it, like, the honcho from Verizon comes in and he gets... Well, I think the FCC is still trying to figure out exactly how they're going to break it down. But, the, basically, the map will have... The biggest priority is the Navy, because they still use this spectrum a little bit on a couple ships. So, if you're on a coast where these Navy ships dock and they fire up their radar, whatever uses 3.5 gigahertz, they will send a message to like a central server that will say, yo, get off of this section of the spectrum. I, I'm not thrilled about this. The Navy's going to be going to be screwing up my Wi-Fi. <laughs> I've had it up. No. I've had it up to here with the Navy. Wait, so Paul, why do you believe? So this is, they basically have a new radio, right? That's using yeah. small cells for last mile. Why do you believe? Last, that last block. Why do you believe that either iPhones or the Pixel will have such a radio? Well, a company kind of out of the blue contacted me called Extanet, and they were like, yo, based on the, you know, the upcoming um, phone releases, we thought you should be aware of uh, this cool technology called CBRS. And so they gave me this whole briefing based <laughs> on a context that it seems pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I, I have no concrete information or reason to know for sure. Qualcomm has the the only known 
like ready CBRS modem. Yeah. Uh, there's a very similar spectrum that's already used in Japan. What are the chances that they rolled Google's you? Google's tested out CBRS back in like 2016. <laughs> and they're putting and, out yeah, like an and, HTC phone that's like four I, inches thick. I may have been tricked by an advertisement <laughs> from Extinet. <laughs> but if not, this is very exciting technology. I mean, so is that a plus, Dieter? And Verizon's gonna, said there will be phones on CBRS by on their network by the end of the year. That's a plus. Weird radio band you never heard before. I don't, the plus versus max is whatever. Max sounds trashier. It's uh, worse in some ways aesthetically. Mostly I'm just mad that like, how many more things are we going to tack on to the end of the word yeah. iPhone? Uh, you know, my, my Twitter joke about this is that we're entering 2012 iPhone brand name uh, territory here. It's like, stop. Just call it. Just call it iPhone one again. Call it iPhone A and B. You've got and C. iPhone. You've got the regular iPhone. You've got the iPhone yeah. 4G Plus that runs on CBRS. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the iPhone 4G Plus Max. Mm-hmm. You've got the iPhone, which is like you get an iPhone 4G Plus. You get to hang out with Eli's baby. They I go together. It. I'm so mad about this. <laughs> <laughs> I really dislike it. I will say the she way came that- out months before the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep repeating that for the next five years because that's what's coming for you. No. I will say the way that cars handle this, having brushed up a little bit on the transportation section. But, like, Ford makes a lot of different cars, but when they come out with a new car, they just have some new name for it. Yeah. And it doesn't have, it doesn't really tell you anything about its relation to the other cars. It's just like, this one's a Civic, and this one's an Accord. (laughs) And you're like, what's the difference between the Honda Civic and the Honda Accord? And the guy's like, well, let me explain it to you. But they just they just have different names for different things. There's all kinds of trim models for cars. Here's what I think Apple should do. They should sell the naming rights like stadiums. Ooh, to Qualcomm. <laughs> there, should, there should be the, the iPhone Qualcomm. <laughs> all right. So two, fo- three phones, we think. Yep. Uh, uh, a, a big iPhone XS, a little iPhone XS. And then this very mysterious LCD phone, which seems yeah. to be the one that no one knows about that hasn't leaked in any way. Well, it's- in like a few ways, but not in, not in like a, a super substantial, we definitely know. Like we expect it to be dual SIM. There's been a rumor that it's going to be delayed, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I like we have straight up pictures of the other phones in the watch, right? I mean, like this one, there's not like a hardware leak or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's just this like supply chain rumor that they're going to do it. Then this is like a new thing. From last week, we talked about all this last week, except we didn't know the name, which again, I want to just remind everyone, it's extraordinarily fr- personally frustrating to me. Uh, USB C charging, they're going to bundle the cable and the phone. And then we found out this week, uh, it appears Apple's going to start letting third parties make MFI USB C uh, lightning cables. I'm still yeah. just generally up in arms over Apple's MFI program and lightning. It's crazy that they added fast charging to the phone and then didn't let anyone make cables for it for a year. And now they're like slowly, I mean, they're just like driving you into their ecosystem. That's what they do. Yeah, we should, um, we should be clear if you're, if you're if only like have been half glancing at the news. When Neil I says there's going to be a USB-C cable for the iPhone, that means that USB in. The other end is still lightning. Yeah. They're never going to put USB-C in the iPhone because Wait. they hate consumers. <laughs> they, but are, you, are, you saying, are you saying that me with my old MacBook Pro and my old Anchor charger and my old charging bricks all of those will not work with the new cable 
No. So you have like a 29 watt anchor charger, right? For your MacBook Pro? Whatever. Yeah, with USB A plugs. With USB No, 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 no. No, no, no. I don't charge my MacBook with my anchor. I'm saying all the ways I charge my phone. I plug it into my MacBook Pro that doesn't have any USB C. I plug it into my anchor that doesn't have any USB. I plug it into like an old Samsung yeah, yeah, yeah. charging brick that doesn't have USB C. No, I think they're going to switch the default in the box of the iPhone to be a USB-C brick with a USB-C to lightning cable that does fast charging. But it's just power, so you can probably still use an old lightning cable with a Type-A plug at the other end. Do you think they'll ship a Type-A cable and a Type-C cable? That seems not very Apple-y. I think they're going to sh- they're gonna push everybody to see. That's the rumor. Yeah, there's also the rumor they're not going to include the dongle, right? Yes, and then they're going to take away the headphone dongle in the final yeah. blow Which against Which is Best humanity. Buy's best-selling Apple product. <laughs> and, and, and as it shall be forever. Uh, another <laughs> another product that Apple will not let anyone else make. No yeah. MFI uh, headphone dongles in, in the market because Apple doesn't want other people to make them. Uh, no battery cases with headphone jacks, as far as I can tell either. They've announced some, and they've kind of like fizzled away. Apple's control of that port, man, really, really gets me. You know, Max is going to end up working for the EFF one day. That's my plan for her. She's going <laughs> to bring down the scheme. Uh, but, and then there's obviously watch. We haven't heard anything new about the watch since last week. So, I mean, I think we're expecting to go there, see a bunch of new stuff, and then presumably the phones and the watch will come out fat. Like immediately the third phone, like Dieter's saying, there's a rumor of a delay. And then we're going to see what? A bunch of software updates. We'll see tvOS 12. We'll see Mojave. We'll see iOS 12. iOS 12 isn't like beta 45. They just released it today. I mean, they did, up, they did ship the beta update that made it stop telling everyone there was an update. So that was, that was a win. <laughs> that was hell. Uh, and that's it. Is there like, there's not much more. Like, we're going to go. We're going to come back. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that they're going to do Macs and iPads uh, at this event. Um, that seems like too much. Um, oh, I just realized calling it the Macs is going to make everybody confused with Macs. Oh, no. Yeah, someone was tweeting well, me, like, also, you walk into the Apple store and be like, show me the Macs. And be like, which one? Oh, also, what do you mean? for a very, a very uninformed customer there's the iphone xs but there's the pixel xl so obviously the iphone is smaller <laughs> yes yeah it's just not good hopefully they hopefully do something else uh speaking of which the pixel 3 xl was left in a cab yeah mm-hmm. left yeah and our headline is great it had already leaked so much that the driver recognized it yep. <laughs> <laughs> we're expecting that what next month sometime yeah the rumor is october 9th and yeah that's, we're just waiting on that. I do, I am team uh, little Pixel, I think, this time around. Uh, yeah. Not because not of the notch. I'm like, the notch is big and dopey and I love dunking on it on Twitter. But it's it's more like, I just, I don't need a phone that big. I have the switching between the iPhone, the Pixel 3 XL and the iPhone 10, or Pixel 2 XL, excuse me, and the iPhone 10. Like, I just don't need that big a phone. And like, eh, I think I'll be fine with the smaller one. Yeah, I have the Pixel 2 XL and it just seems, it's a surfboard. Oh, then I look at like the Note 9. I'm like, well, what if I had a bigger surfboard? There was an answer. We were talking about AirPods 2 probably coming. Seems like it. Air power, oh, yeah, maybe the mix. Uh, yeah. And I was joking, like, they bought Beats and they're just slowly killing the Beats headphone brand. But then today, Beats signed a deal to become the NBA's official headphones. So, Beats, they're there for all of your leftover W1 chips. Yeah, uh, would, you say that, would you say that the Beats go on? I, I want to, mm. I'm going to make you listen to advertising again. <laughs> for advertising, air power is going to happen. Wait, Hopefully. With certainty, or are you talking, did a Citizens Band radio service guy call you and tell you that? They promised, it was, <laughs> they promised they'd release it, and they haven't said peep about it since. Yeah. 
Air okay. power is the next uh, FaceTime will be an open standard. Mm. That's rough. We'll see. I, we got to get our power puns ready for before for, for next week. No, just there's going to be a lot of power related news. We're going to have to come up with a lot of headlines. <laughs> power yeah. struggle, something like that. I don't know. All right, we're going to break for an ad. When we come back, my friend Paul Miller is going to do a thing. This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by Republic. On the show, we talk about startups developing new technology, building new services, and launching products. You hear about their journey and growth, but you ever wish you could get in on the ground floor as an investor? Now, thanks to Republic, you can. Republic lets anyone, anywhere in the world, invest in promising startups with as little as $10. When you invest in Republic, you own an actual stake in a company's future, meaning if they succeed, so do you. Whether you want to invest in tech startups, female founders, or another thing we've got figured out how to sell on podcasts like socks, head over to republic.co and become an angel investor today. That's republic.co. All right, this ad's really weird because it's not really an ad. It's from our own company. Well, it is an ad. Just go with me on this. It's her chorus, which is the platform that The Verge runs on and Vox.com runs on and Eater runs on and all the other sites run on. Chorus is now open for business. If you are a premium publisher, you can come onto the Chorus platform. The Chorus team wants you to know that it will solve the headaches of modern digital publishers. Chorus offers a best-in-class suite of publishing tools for modern multimedia storytelling, for smart data-informed multi-platform content distribution, and integrated premium advertising, which I know we all love the most. When we started The Verge, the thing that we saw first was an early version of Chorus. And now it's like a software product. We have a software company. And you can buy software from that company. You should do it. You can buy software from a company. It's wild. It's a wild idea for Verchast listeners to buy software from Vox Media. But you can. You find out more about licensing Chorus at voxmedia.com slash onchorus. All right, Paul, we're back. Yo. Every, every week, my friend. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sponsored this week. I know. <laughs> It's a great week for you to be sponsored, Mr. Smash the every, System. Every week, I do a segment that is sometimes sponsored, and it's called The Decline of Dirt. The Decline of Dirt is brought to you by Darn Tough Vermont Socks, proud supporter of and probable inspiration for the sock emoji. Thank you, Unicode 10.0. Made in the USA and unconditionally guaranteed for life. Visit darntough.com slash verge for 20% off your first order. That's darntough.com slash verge. And I don't think I'd be speaking out of line when I say, do your own research on socks and then and buy the best socks that you can find on the internet. I don't think Darn Tough is gonna, is gonna contest that claim at all. Okay. <laughs> the decline of dirt. Uh, there's a new Roomba vacuum. Ooh. And this is very exciting, right? Roomba goes around your house very slowly collects a small quantity of dirt and puts it in a box, but then you have to take the box out of the Roomba and throw in the trash, right? You're interacting with dirt. And there's a new Roomba, like the Core i7, what's it called? The i7 Plus that has a, 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 a station that it plugs into, sucks all the dirt out, and you get, get about 30 loads, right? So now you're only dealing with dirt like one in 30 times, but maybe soon there'll be another robot that will maybe put that <laughs> little trash can to a bigger trash can, and then you only have to deal with garbage when you're taking it to the street. And, you know, like, so on and so on, soon we'll deal with less dirt overall. How also, the new Roomba maps your house, spies on you with a low-res camera, and it costs $1,000. or I bought one. I bought one right away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me about this house mapping. 
that's the thing that I'm most interested in because I've bought and returned they, a dozen of these vacuums because they're all dumb. Well, it's, it's they've great. done the house I mapping mean, before, but it it um it was it it didn't persist from like session to session, and so like they could show you what they cleaned, but it, it looked like an old Zelda map basically, but it wasn't like great. And I think on this model, it persists longer, and they can use it to improve the algorithm for where it goes to clean. Well, and also it's going to keep track of where it cleans and. You'll be able to, for instance, say, Alexa, have my Roomba clean the living room, right? So you could, like, label the rooms and have uh, it go do wait, is some there an a, certain Wait, there's, place. like, an actual integration with personal assistants? Like, you can do an if this, then that, like... Yeah, Alexa oh, yeah. or, or Google Assistant. They, so I mean, guessing... they build skills for all these things. Man. Yeah. But I just oh, want to point hey, out Google, that it is... clean the living room. It is extremely obvious that Dieter bought this thing and then read the spec sheet a thousand times in excitement. Shut up. <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> what is it? Why does it have a low-res low camera? Because it's just for I, I don't mapping care. and navigation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have my Roomba. I've got the Roomba 980, which is the best top-of-the-line one so far. And I bought it because <laughs> it's the only model of Roomba that doesn't just completely get destroyed by cat hair. It works really well. It's easy to clean. But having to pull that dustbin out it's it's a pain, and I am very excited to like have to do that once a month instead of once a day. My favorite, the favorite part of my, the best part of my day, the best part of my day is when I come home and I go walking around my house looking for the Roomba because it's inevitably gotten stuck on something, and it's always like, oh, little guy, who'd you get in a fight with today? Oh, you, you and that shoe just really went at it, didn't you? Here, let me help you out, and Wait. like. To not have that moment of joy, I'm excited about because I hate joy. Wait, so it has the camera to avoid shoes? No, it has the camera to map stuff. Oh. All right. I mean, the fundamental thing is we have to translate the Roomba's understanding of its space into, like, human understanding because we were going to name rooms for it to go clean. And so that's mm -hmm. where, like, the mapping comes in. If it was just, like, this, this, like, robot intelligence wanders around your house cleaning, we wouldn't need that. Well, it's not that intelligent. <laughs> it's like I, I like I've I had didn't say one. it was that smart. I just like this is it has some understanding of like where the walls are, and like as long as you didn't have to talk to it, that was fine. But once you have to talk to it, it has to do this more invasive stuff. Mm -hmm. I think my perspective on this is every year on this show I buy a Pixel phone when it comes out, and this year we're going to debate whether I'm buying a thousand dollar vacuum. Or a thousand dollar Android phone. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, I'm Dieter. I'm happy for you, man. I'm happy that that you bought a robot. I think we should all be. Um, I am. I'm happy for me too. And Russell raises a very good point <laughs> about the trade offs between AI and privacy. Yeah, the the, the room of people had to be like, look, we're not storing this data. I mean, we're storing some of it, but we're going to keep it safe. Like, I mean, that's what they say. Yeah, so they're like, <laughs> we're not going to sell the map of your house. I think it'd be great yeah. if Roomba pivoted to like extremely granular maps of where dirt is in America. Yeah, I would watch, I would look at that infographic. I would <laughs> yes. click on that content. Yeah. It's like when TiVo does its aggregate data and they're like, everyone pause this commercial tonight. Yeah. yeah. Where is the dirt? From his like, un in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's by the fridge. <laughs> Makes sense. Oh, wait, hang on. This will be all news by the time you hear this to this podcast, but uh, Google invites for October 9th hardware event just went out. Uh, oh, wow. It'll be in New York. Hey, that's mm. fun. Hell of a town. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that. But, and we think that's just the pixel, or are you going to do more? I mean, there's there's the two pixels, and there have been pretty 
there been a ramp, there's been a ramp of rumors about a new Chromebook that might be a detachable Chromebook, codenamed Nocturne. Ooh. Um, and if you go look at the dev channel for Chrome OS, you'll see a bunch of very interesting uh, stuff that they're doing to make it more material designy and more Androidy and better on tablets. That is an unusually goth code name, Nocturne. They all their code names used to be like classic Metroid characters or ca- classic Nintendo characters. Yeah, that's more on um, brand. Yeah. Nocturne is like man. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Quoth the Raven. Notch turn. <laughs> uh, all right, lightning round. BMW latest automaker to introduce its own in-car voice assistant. Dieter's just shaking his head. I mean, fine. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Russell, Netflix and YouTube are the most throttled mobile apps by U.S. carriers, new study says. Yeah, I mean, the throttling, it's bad. I'm not a fan. But yeah. if you have to throttle something, YouTube is probably a good choice. Yeah. Take the data away. Yeah. We just live in a 480p world now. Yeah. That's where we're going to be. Paul, Razer confirms mm-hmm. it's working on a second generation Razer phone. Success. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly around right nowhere. That's, that, that sounded like a, a one off, right? Razer phone, one off. Yeah. But no, maybe it's a two off. Do you, do you think they're going to up the refresh rate on this one? Like, what more can Razer so. do? They've added I all of know. the features. I have no idea. I was just CBRS. hoping you were excited. Add CBRS. <laughs> Paul, did you get a job as a CBRS lobbyist? <laughs> what is going well, on? If you're over so there? deep on CBRS, can you can you tell me about this thing where uh, the, they're <laughs> they're considering taking away the the portion of the citizen band that gets used for uh, sending out the atomic clock time so that different devices can stay in sync with the atomic clock? I have no idea about that, but yep. I bet That's if coming. CBRS is involved, it did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I think it's time for you to appear before Congress to talk about atomic clocks. <laughs> Dieter, Samsung teases foldable smartphone launch for next year. Or later this year, actually. You think you're going to put I, out a foldable smartphone this year? Not much time left. I think they could. I think that it's about time. I think that like we've seen enough prototypes that it's possible. Um, I think that the first iteration is going to be um, very interesting and ultimately disappointing because in order to make a foldable phone, you need to make space for a hinge. In order to make space for a hinge, you need to make space for batteries. And... I don't know. I'm, I, I don't want to. I don't want to crap on it before we've seen it. Uh, but I do think that we should not get our hopes up too, too high for the first version. I'm excited. It's my next phone. Okay. Lastly, I just want to point out uh, the pace of new mirrorless cameras coming out is very high right now, which is very exciting. So last week there was a bunch of Nikon stuff. This week, uh, Canon put out the EOS R system, which is their big new mirrorless system, has actually killer lens selection. And then Fujifilm put out the new XT3. If you're, Which charges via USB-C and has a headphone jack and has a microphone jack. It's a lot. If, These, I, if I had LTE, I would just use a phone. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Fuji? <laughs> Razor can do it. So can you. Uh, I would absolutely. That's the next convergence points is one of these mirrorless cameras is just like, yeah, it's also like a mid-range Android phone. Wasn't that the last there, thing Kodak did before it like officially died? No, a bunch I of- definitely definitely went to a meeting with some camera company that was there was an Android phone on the back of the camera. Oh yeah, no, there was a, a minute when just gluing a mid-range Android phone to the back of your thing was how you made everything smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could like always see the interface. I'm just saying we everyone went at the wrong way. They took point-and-shoot cameras, and then they put mid-range Android phones in the back, which uh-huh. was mistaken. I'm saying the cameras are getting real good. Take one of these mirrorless things and put just glue like an S9 to the back of it. Samsung, you could do it. Samsung made this product. It was just not a very good camera. Anyway. What if it was modular? 
Where you could like take the camera on and off of the phone. Like a mod? Like That's a, literally like a, what Red is doing. Like a moto <laughs> They're mod. Claiming that their module is like a thing that can take any literally any DSLR lens that you want. They're like, we'll make a, we're making a module and you can attach anything to it. It'll be great. They're also out there being like, it turns out we had no idea how to build a phone. It's going to be a little delayed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the Vergecast has now arrived at the point where we've invented modular phones. So I'm going to wrap this one up. Uh, just some stuff to plug. Home of the Future with Grant Imahara. Great to work with, by the way. He sent us such a nice note today about how much fun he had doing this. But Home of the Future is wrapped up. Go on the YouTube channel. Check that out with Grant. You can listen to all of Converge with Casey Newton. You can also listen to the interface. If you were into what we were talking about today, Casey is covering social media and democracy every single day with that newsletter. Go to verge.com slash interface. Check it out. You can also listen, if you like Casey, you can listen to Recode Media this week. Peter Kafka had the week off. Casey hosted Recode Media this week. Check that out. You can also listen to Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. You can follow us everywhere at Verge. You can go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, leave a comment. I am dying to know what you think of the interview episode. So tweet at me, I'm Reckless. Russell is at Russell Brandom. Dieter's Backlon. Paul is Future Paul. And a little thing to hype. Kara Swisher has a new podcast coming out in the fall. Keep an eye out for that. All right, that's hey. it. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Promo code. This episode of The Vergecast brought to you by Audi e-tron. Despite all of its technology, there's a lot that the all-new Audi e-tron doesn't offer. It doesn't offer. For example, it has no tailpipe admissions and no need to fill up at the gas station. You just plug it in at home. The Quattro all-wheel drive system offers no reason not to tackle roads in almost any weather. And long-range capabilities and high-speed charging, e-tron is a new way to think about electric mobility, which makes sense. It's the first fully electric vehicle from Audi. E-tron was built to defy the elements and upend the conventional wisdom, so in truth, it's not lacking anything, a twist that you did not see coming. After all, it isn't just an electric car, it's an electric Audi. E-tron is here, and the future is electric. Visit audi.com slash e-tron to learn more and stay informed.